please open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning. I've entitled today's message, Have You Seen His Glory? Have You Seen His Glory? A question that we might ask ourselves today is, how well do we know Jesus? Uh, Have we seen His glory in our life? Have we sensed something of His truth impacting our life? How well do we know Him? We know something about Him, but do you know Him in a personal way? Do you know Him in a way that is really close in relationship, in such a way that something of His divine glory and touch upon your life has made an impact. As we read through the the scriptures of the New Testament, we find men and women whose lives were radically changed by the touch of Christ, by the knowledge of Jesus. We, We consider the Apostle Paul, the one who persecuted the church, the hater of Christians. But after he saw the glory, after he met Jesus in a personal way, he became a completely different man Not only himself in the way that he lived, but also his passion to share what had happened to him with others. He would say this in Philippians 3 verse 8. Indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Having tasted the glory of Jesus in his life, nothing else held value. Nothing else compared. It became his driving passion. And it became the passion that he desired others to know of as well. You're there in Matthew 17. I'll join you in a moment. But let me just introduce our text with a few of these passages. Listen to the Apostle Paul's heart. How desperate he is for the church to know the glory and love of God in Christ. He prayed for the church in Ephesians 1:17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. What a prayer, what a, what a cry unto God that you, church, would know all that God has done for you in Christ. That, you would see the, that He would give you revelation of His glory. That He would give you the eyes of understanding, the, the spiritual eyes of the heart to see the truth of who Christ is and what He has done for us. And the great power that has come your way Via Christ. This is a powerful prayer. This is my prayer for us today, even as we read our text, that we would know Him, that we would know His love, that we would know His forgiveness, His power, His future hope and promise, something of His glory be seen today, even as we look at our text. It changes everything. Having tasted and seen the glory of God, it changes perspective, priority, the passion of our life. 
And Jesus will give now in this text today some of the disciples a preview of who he truly is in glory. Let's remember our context. Jesus has been alone with his disciples. He's kind of retreated them away to this place called Caesarea Philippi. And in ministering to them there, you remember he asked the question, Who do you say that I am? And Peter, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. This fuller revelation of who Jesus is is now being openly discussed between them. And Jesus is beginning to speak to them clearly about His death, about His resurrection, about the kingdom of God that is ultimately going to come, even the return of His glory when He comes for His kingdom. And this announcement uh, that some of His disciples would actually see the preview of His glory and kingdom. You're there in Matthew 17. Look at just the last verse of 16, which really stands as an introduction to chapter 17. It says in verse 28, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here, talking to his disciples, who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Some of you are going to see a glimpse of what the kingdom is to look like, who I am in glory. That introduces us now to our text. Look at it with me, the classic passage known as the transfiguration of Christ. Pick it up in verse 1. Now, after six days... Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. This moment for just these, this inner circle that Jesus has called up to see this vision of his glory. A number of things I'd like to draw our attention to, kind of working through this passage. Let's take a look together. The first thing that I want you to notice is that not all of the disciples saw. There were but some that Jesus called to be the eyewitnesses of his glory. Look again in verse 1. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother. So James and John were brothers, the sons of thunder. Led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So just three. 
Peter and the two brothers, James and John, uh, his inner circle. We see Jesus in other places in the New Testament where even though he had his 12 and they were, of course, the inner circle of many other disciples and followers of Christ. But even amongst the 12, there seemed to be these three that Jesus would regularly kind of draw away and let them on maybe deeper insights, let them see other things that some of the others were not allowed to see. He limited the vision for his divine reasons. And he said, don't tell anybody this until after I've, raised, I've been risen. He, he wants to kind of keep this in a private revelation. He wants them to have this moment. He wants them to be able to declare this moment after he's raised from the dead. But he doesn't want it be, being circulated before he finishes his work at the cross. And we might consider, why, why does Jesus kind of work with some, but in some ways, and with others in other ways, but not with all the same? And is it some kind of a, a bias that the Lord has? Does, does he love these three more than the rest of the disciples? No, the Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons, meaning God is not biased. God does not have favorites. favorites. God loves all. But within all, there are different callings and different ministry works that God entrusts. And in so doing, there are also different gifts and truths and revelations that God reveals. And it may be that that these men were simply given the things that they would need specifically for their ministry. John and Peter would go on to write of this account. James would be the first martyr in the church. It may be that these men were being entrusted with this vision because their ministry specifically would require this event in their in their understanding. It could be that maybe they were just ready for more than some of the others. You know, the Bible does say in the, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, kind of chiding the church in Corinth. He said, you know, I wanted to start feeding you guys with solid food, but you're still only ready for milk. You're not yet ready for the greater truths of the kingdom that I would like to give to you. Perhaps these three were more in step with what Jesus was ready to prepare to reveal. We're not sure of the reasoning, but we know that God has a sovereign plan for each of us. And clearly, the Lord calls each to a unique and perfect plan. And that's true for all of us as well. Now, eventually, all of us will see him face to face. All of us will know him as we are known. But today, God gives the revelation that we need. He gives a glimpse of glory. We don't know everything yet. We don't have the full picture. And even these disciples that saw this transfiguration, even they had a hard time putting the pieces together. You see them questioning and trying to discern even after the event. And this is the way the Lord works. God God gives light that's needed for the moment for what he's entrusted to you. And as you're faithful with that light, he gives more light. That's the way our Christian uh, journey is. We we're kind of growing in our understanding. We have the, the foundation, which is Christ and what he's done for us at the cross and our sins being forgiven and our eternal hope and promise. But the fullness of his purpose for our life, those gifts and callings, those are things that we learn in time as the Lord reveals them to us. But let me say to all of us that we are all called. These out of these 12, three had unique calling that Jesus gave them this vision for. But all the disciples, as you know, were called and all of us as followers of Christ 
are called. It's not like, well, God only gives you know, revelation to the ones He really wants to use. No, God wants to use all of our lives. He, give, he may give different revelation, different uh, you know, gifts and, and insights to what He has for you, but God wants all of us to be used for His glory. The book of uh, Ephesians tells us that the job of pastors is to equip the saints, that's all of us, for the work of ministry for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. He goes on in Ephesians 4 to say, the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We see here unique uh, Jesus u- dealing uniquely with individuals, But we ought to see that that's the way God wants to work in each and every life. He wants to work uniquely in your life, too. And it's important to be faithful with what God has entrusted to each, not focusing on what he's given to someone else, jealous for that ministry, that calling, not prideful, thinking we we are we have more than someone else. God wants us to be faithful with what's been entrusted to us. Galatians 6.3, again, don't turn to these, let me just quote them for you quickly. Galatians 6.3 tells us, If anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And we're all nothing before Christ. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. We're not to be comparing, we're not to be competing, We're to be faithful with what God has entrusted to us and encouraging one another to do the same. And together we see Christ glorified in our midst. So we see Jesus calling these eyewitnesses. The second thing I'd like to draw your attention to is the vision of his glory, the actual transfiguration of Jesus. Verse 2, he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Now this passage is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three Gospels. It's a pretty well-known passage, and if we're not careful, we can just kind of read over, oh yeah, that's the transfiguration. But I want you to think about being there. I mean, they've been walking with this Jesus now for two and a half years. He's just a man. They know he's a special man. They're even beginning now to embrace him as the divine Messiah, but... They've never seen him in the fullness of his glory. And, in a, and, and they take, they're up on this mountain all alone, and he changes. His face is shining like the sun. I don't know if you ever looked at the sun in the middle of the day, but it's, it's bright. And his clothes are white as light. Can't even be, there's not even a color. To, it, it, they're, they're like he's glowing, this image of Christ. And we see him, they, they get to see him transfigured. That word transfigured is the Greek word metamorpho, which we get our English word metamorphosis. It's this outward change because of who he is within. And what they saw in that, on that mountain was not Jesus changed into something or someone else. What they really saw was who Jesus always was. They saw the true Jesus. They, they saw the Jesus as he existed in eternity past. The Bible says that that Jesus humbled himself and became a man. Jesus took on flesh. That's not how he existed. That's not who he is. He became man 
that he might redeem man. But it was a stepping into a human form and body as an act of humility and love to come and save men. And yet they get to see him something as he truly is the glory of Jesus before them. John says that the word became flesh. He existed in glory. They get a glimpse of his true identity and glory. And the Lord then gives them this eyewitness account to share with others in season. Peter would write about this event. These guys would never be the same after this. And you can imagine, if you'd seen that, if you were there, I'm sure it would be part of your testimony. I've got to tell you what happened to me up on the mountain. I couldn't tell you before Jesus resurrected, but now they let me tell you what I saw. And both, and both, now James, as I said, he was martyred very early in the church. But Peter and John would both go on and write about this event. Listen to these passages. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Peter says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter's saying, guys, I didn't make this up. I'm not telling you some story. I was there. I saw, the tra- I saw Jesus in glory. I heard the Father tremble from heaven. I was on my face in fear in the presence of a holy God and the glory of of a holy son. John would write about it in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. These men became the eyewitnesses who then declared what they saw that it might encourage us to know the truth of who he is we weren't there. You weren't, at the, you weren't at the crucifixion. You and I were not witnesses to the resurrection. But God has left himself a testimony and a record. And they were eyewitnesses who most of them gave their life for the truth of their claim. How do we see his glory? Is it just by reading the, the, the eyewitness account? Surely the word of God does speak to us. But I believe there's more going on in our lives as Christians. More of God's glory being revealed to us. Let me quote a couple verses to you. The Spirit's witness within us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as, listen, by the Spirit of the Lord. The Apostle Paul says, listen, you're seeing something of His glory also. The glory that you're seeing is being revealed to you by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit has now been given to the church as this ambassador to reveal the glory of Christ. And as you walk with Christ, as you live your life in fellowship with God, the Spirit of God is transforming you. You're being changed. Because God is showing you the image of Christ and you're being changed to be more like Christ from glory to glory. 
you see one area of his glory and you recognize, my goodness, I need to change and be more like Jesus in that area of glory. And just about the time you see that change in your life, what happens? There's a new glory for you to look at and say, wow, as in a mirror, ooh, that's another place I need to be transformed. And that's the revelation of God's glory. From glory to glory, you're being changed. And it's the Holy Spirit that is working these things in our lives. Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit has an active role in declaring and, and teaching us the glory of Christ. We weren't there. We didn't get to, to see. So are we, do we just miss out? No. We have the Spirit of God within us. We have something even internally transforming our lives and, and reminding us that God loves us. And when that truth comes to us, the Spirit of God confirms it in our heart, the forgiveness of our sins. That's how we can bear witness. We're His children. I know He loves me. I know He's forgiven me. The transforming power of God in our lives. Let me tell you, that's a powerful witness of His glory. How many of you have been delivered from a bondage, an addiction, a, 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 a way of thinking, a lifestyle, the kind of person that you were, even though you wanted to change, you couldn't change, even if you knew you weren't going in the right direction, you couldn't help yourself, but then Christ came into your life. And I'm not saying you arrived, but by the grace of God, you're not who you used to be. God has changed me. And that is the glory of Christ being seen in your life. No one could do it. You couldn't do it. But the power of God in Christ Jesus has broken that power and given you the grace to be a new person. You've seen it in your own life and you've seen it in the lives of others. This movie that we'll be watching, these are four gangsters transformed by the glory of Jesus Christ. They weren't there to behold as the eyewitnesses were, but they've heard the account. They've believed it in their heart and the Holy Spirit has brought it to pass in their lives. What about the faithfulness and the comfort that God brings into your life through trial? If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that there are deep valleys that are a part of the Christian journey. These guys are up on the mountaintop. Boy, I love those times too. But they have to come down. We all have to go through the valleys. But how many of you would acknowledge, having come through some of those valleys, that the Lord was with you? And it was His glory, His grace, His Word, His Spirit that kept you, that preserved you, that gave you the strength to endure and to come through. That's the glory of Christ upon your life. And there's nothing that can take that away from the child of God. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And that is the glory of Christ. Thirdly, in our text today, I want to talk about the glory of the Word of God. The glory of Christ, how it's seen in the Word. Notice with me verse 3. Interesting. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. So, you know, Jesus is transfigured, but there are a couple of other, you know, saints with him ministering to him there. And interesting that God chose Moses and Elijah. I mean, there's so many Old Testament saints that could have been there, right? Abraham, why? the father of the faith. 
He could have been there. Noah, great man of God, could have been there. David, from whom Jesus was you know, the lineage of the king. So many other prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. But for some reason, Moses and Elijah are the ones chosen to appear for the sake of the disciples to see them with Jesus. This tells them the kingdom is eternal. These men are still alive. This tells them something about who's there to testify that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is divine. And as we look through the, the scriptures, we notice that often the way the Old Testament scriptures are referred to are how? Moses and the prophets. Right? We see that phrase often in the New Testament. When, when the New Testament is talking about the Old Testament scriptures, they don't usually say the Old Testament Bible. They say Moses, the law, and the prophets. And this is now a representation. Moses is there, and Elijah, one of the first and earliest beloved prophets of Israel. As if to say... It is all that what who Jesus is, is more than just what you're seeing transformed by by the glory of this vision. But it's also test. He is also the one testified by Moses and the prophets. The word of God confirms that he is the Messiah. He is the savior of the world. Think about some of these passages. John chapter five. Again, don't turn. Let me quote them quickly. John five, forty six. For if you believed Moses, Jesus told the Pharisees, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. See, Moses wrote about Christ, but they never saw that. But these disciples are getting to see, that's Moses. He wrote the the law. He's here to testify of Christ. We think of all the prophets. Here's Elijah representing the prophets. He's here to testify of Christ. You remember when Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, He appeared to a couple of the disciples who were on their way, leaving Jerusalem on their way on the road to Emmaus. And you remember he appeared to them and he began to speak to them. Luke tells us about the conversation and in Luke 24, 27, it says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The word of God testifies of the glory of Christ. And this Moses and Elijah being part of the vision is the testimony that he is the Christ of the scriptures. It's not just a vision. It's not just something that you can you can believe in because you saw it with your own eyes. Something even more profound than your own eyes speaks of this truth. And it's the word of God, the eternal word of God. Let me tell you the second half of Peter's testimony. Remember I said how Peter wrote about we were eyewitnesses. We saw him reveal. We heard the voice from heaven. In the very next verse after that passage in 2 Peter, listen to what he says. Verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter says, look, I saw this with my eyes, but what it did is confirmed the Holy Scripture. And that's the way 
we want the Lord to lead us. We want our sense of vision, our sense of spiritual discernment to always be confirmed by the Scriptures. The promise of who Christ is is not because He came and performed miracles and transfigured. The promise, the anchor of who Christ is, is the eternal Word of God. His claims of of the Scriptures, the Word became flesh. How important is the Bible? How important is our study and, and allowing the Spirit of God to bring to life the Bible? You want to see the glory? Do you want to learn the deeper things concerning Christ, you will find them in the Scriptures. Do you want to know Jesus, know His Word, the pages of Scripture, declare Him from cover to cover? Fourth, that I'd like you to see is, of course, the glory confirmed by the Father. The glory of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Interesting, as we read this passage, Peter is there. He sees this vision. Now, some of the other writers, Luke and Mark, they both tell us that that all of them were afraid. Matthew says they were all afraid too. This is a trembling moment. And what Peter does when he gets kind of nervous and and unsure of himself, he starts to talk. And it said, Mark tells us that he, he said this, Peter said, uh, hey Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles. Mark tells us that he said that because he didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to say. So he just started talking. <laughs> but while he was speaking, almost as if the father had to like Peter enough before you say any more. The father interrupted him, and while he was speaking, he, while Peter was speaking, he said, "This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased." Hear him, Peter. We don't need three tabernacles, Peter. We don't need you to honor these men. What we need you to do is hear Jesus. We need you to honor the One. There's only one voice that speaks eternally for God. There's only one uh, picture of God that we have in a man. And that is the man, Jesus Christ. The Father confirms here, Jesus. He's not to be compared with Moses. He's not to be compared with Elijah. These are men who merely testified of Him, the eternal, true, and living God, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You listen to Him, Peter. In Hebrews, it tells us that God at various times and in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, but has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. If you want to know God, know Jesus. If you want to hear the voice of God, hear the voice of Jesus. If you want relationship with an eternal Creator, come to faith in Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Church, this is why we're studying the Gospels. This is why we want to try and mine out every truth that we can as we study the life of Jesus. What did He say? 
How did he react? What did he not say? What did he do? Why did he say he was doing it? How do we see him interacting with his disciples, with the Pharisees, with, with the world? Because that's the voice of God. The glory of God is in Christ. And we want to know God. We want to know God in, in every way. And we study Him by studying the person of Jesus Christ. To meet and to know Him. His teaching, His heart, His nature. And in so doing, we discover God. We discover the love of God. We see a merciful God. We see a compassionate man. We see a man taking time to minister to children, to to one at a time. God caring intimately about mankind and about our condition. We see a God that's come to lay down his life. A God that sacrifices himself for the saving and redeeming of lost mankind. Fifth and finally, I want you to see the glory of his return. The glory of his return. And we need to look at a few verses to kind of discover that. You'll see there in verse 10. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So you see, you see the disciples are a little bit confused after this, this event. They thought, as the scribes taught, and as the scriptures seem to indicate, that before the Messiah would come, and establish his kingdom, that Elijah would precede him, that Elijah would come back and precede the Messiah. And so they're, they're, they're trying to think this through. Look, we just saw Elijah. He's still in heaven. He's, he, we just saw him for a minute. He didn't precede Jesus. How can you be the Messiah? How can you be now ready to establish the kingdom? Because Elijah didn't come first. Elijah's, he's still in heaven. We just saw him. He's not here yet. Jesus answers, verse 11, Jesus answered and said to them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. And in in this statement, Jesus gives a, a glimpse of a future kingdom. He's talking about his second coming. You're right, guys. Elijah is coming. And when he does, he's going to establish all things. There is a, a kingdom coming. You're just getting the glimpse of it now. It's not here to arrive as you believed at my first advent. I've come today to pay the price for sin. Look, he goes on. He said, Elijah is coming, but I say to you, verse 12, that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands, then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Elijah, if you can believe this, disciples, the spirit of Elijah has come in the person of John the Baptist. He has come to prepare the way. He has come to, to make ready a people for my first coming. But in the same way that he was treated, abused and rejected, so I also am getting ready to be abused and rejected and crucified. He's trying to tell the disciples, look, guys, this time I've come to die on a cross and pay the price for man's sin to redeem man. I've I've not come to set up the earthly kingdom yet. I've not come to to throw off Rome and, and, and make Israel the center of the world. I've come to redeem all mankind. I have something much larger on my plate today than the smallness of the kingdom that you see. There is a re- there, I will come back and establish a worldwide kingdom. 
And Elijah will precede that and there will be that day, but not today. Today I've come to pay the price for sin and to redeem mankind. When I come again, when I come again, that's when you'll see the fullness of glory. Now, the disciples didn't get all this. Jesus is explaining, but some of it's registering. Some of it they really won't see until after the events of the cross and the resurrection and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of the way it is for us too, isn't it? I mean, we have bits and pieces, but we don't always see the full plan of God. These were his disciples. He's opening their hearts. He's revealing truth to them. But they're, they're, they're wrestling with trying to you know, work it into their understanding of God's plan and purpose for their life. But they would in time. They would see it. They would hit their stride. And they would, as they grow, and as you and I grow, as we walk with the Lord, more and more begins to open up. We begin to see a greater, have a greater understanding of what His purpose and plan is for our life. And God is revealing all, all along the way, and those pieces kind of have to be fit together in time. But Jesus is letting them know that later you will understand, and this revelation will greatly affect your expectation of my return. And let me say that when Jesus comes again, it's a very different picture than his first advent, his first coming. You can read Revelation chapter 19 and you see a Jesus coming on a white horse with flame shooting out from his mouth and on his white robe and on his thigh is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is coming in glory. He is coming in power. He is coming in the the full brightness of the uh, uh, sun in his face and and his garments as white as the light. We will see him in His glory, and He will come to the earth and establish His kingdom. But today, today we wait. Today we live in the spiritual reality of His kingdom with His promise of a future, both sure and trustworthy. Finally, here today, I want to just remind you of the verse. Just, I just want to say it again. Um, this verse I've already quoted. Let me re-quote it to you and we'll close. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, we with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Are you allowing the glory of Jesus to transform your life? Are you being changed from image uh, of his glory, from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord? by the work of God's Spirit. I believe this is God's desire for us, that we would grow in our understanding of God through the revelation and relationship we have in Christ, and that this understanding would change us, transform us from glory to glory, but not only that, that this revelation would then become the driving passion and priority of our lives. As Paul said, having gained Christ, everything else is loss. The glory of Christ changes us. The glory of Christ calls us and empowers us through the working of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage today describing this glimpse of the glory of Christ that these disciples were able to witness and they were able to give testimony to this account. 
And Father, as we close here in prayer today, we are mindful of the glory that we have tasted. We know that your spirit is alive within us, Lord. We we have the witness that none can deny that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus, you are my Savior and Lord. And I pray that it will so impact my life that it will not only transform me, God, but that it will really empower me to be the the man you've called me to be in my generation, Lord, and not just me, but for all of us, that this would become our passion to, re- to, to walk in the glory of our Savior Jesus. And as our heads are bowed here today and just before we close in a song of worship, I, I do want to give an opportunity if you're here today and you need to respond to the Lord. It may be that you're here today and you've never never received Christ in a personal way. You know about Jesus, but you've never really invited the glory of His salvation into your life. And maybe you're here today and you want to receive Him and you want to just confess that I need His forgiveness. I want to trust what He did for me at the cross and the resurrection. I believe that He's my Savior. I'd love to pray and invite Him into your life. Maybe you're here today and you need to rededicate, recommit your life to the Lord. You know the Lord, but if you were honest, you would say, Pastor, I'm not really, I'm not really allowing His glory to transform me. I'm really living pretty much un, still conforming to the world and I need to come back to that priority of Christ and really come back and, and into relationship with Him and sincerity and allow Him to once again, be the Lord of my life and begin to change me by His grace. So maybe you're here today and you need that prayer. Just before we close, if there's anyone here today, you need Jesus or you need to rededicate your life to Jesus, I would ask you just to raise your hand where you're seated and I'll pray for you. Anybody here today? God bless you. Hand right in the middle there. Anyone else? Raise it high so I can see you. I'm going to pray. Just before I pray, anyone else? The Lord's speaking to you and you want want prayer. So Lord, for this one heart today, I pray that you would meet them and the power and grace, truth of your love. Or that they would just simply come and say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins and help me just to receive the love that you have for me. And just move into my heart and the person of your Holy Spirit. And may your glory begin to transform my life as I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.